God, thank you for providing. We come to you and we ask and we ask for help and we ask for guidance and we ask for leadership and we ask for spiritual growth and, and you are always faithful to your children to give us good gifts. And we are rejoicing even to hear a testimony about something you did in someone's life 35 years ago. We're grateful that you finish what you start and that you've been working all of these years and we're grateful that you uh, do raise individuals up to, to help and to be good under-shepherds under you, the chief shepherd. And so we ask that, as Mike said, your will would be done and we would know what your will is and we would be willing to follow you and that we would rejoice and give you thanks in these things. May we delight in Christ even now as we feed upon his word together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13, which would be the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew is the disciple. He's the one who is giving us the gospel account of Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to turn to the 13th chapter. Now, one of the things we're called as Christians is we're called ambassadors. Maybe I could put it another way. One of the things we're called to be as Christians is we're called to be ambassadors. We're called to represent Jesus Christ with His message and to proclaim His message faithfully, not our own message, His message faithfully, the message of the gospel to other people. Right? Whether you realize it or not, you're called to ambassadorship. All Christians are called to be ambassadors. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we hear these words, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's one of the things we're called. We're called to be ambassadors. And, and, and God works through us to plead with others, with the gospel, that people would be reconciled to God. And it's a joy. It's a great thing to have a good message as an ambassador. Ambassadors uh, don't always have the, the best things to say. We have the best thing to say. We're proclaiming good news of forgiveness, good news of re reconciliation, good news of justification that sinners can be declared righteous based upon the righteousness of Christ. But here's the thing. Even though we as ambassadors have a good news message to give on behalf of Christ in the name of Christ, the responses are sometimes good responses. The responses are sometimes bad responses. And I don't know about you, but maybe most troubling for me, the responses are sometimes, thirdly, good at first and then bad later. I want you to think about how unsettling that is. Sometimes we proclaim the good news about Christ to our friend, to a family member, to a neighbor, to a stranger. And sometimes they say, I believe in this Jesus. I trust in Him. 
It makes sense. And, and I want His righteousness. I know I need it. And I believe in Christ. And, and, and we're filled with joy. And we think, I wish it always worked like this. This is awesome. This is amazing. Oh, I love being an ambassador. And other times, people say, I don't want any part of your Jesus. Other times, they say, you are crazy. You are weak. You are stupid. Or that works for you, but it doesn't work for me or whatever, but they're rejecting it. And that can be disheartening because we know what's at stake. But, but worse of all for me, and I think maybe for you as well, if you think about it, is when people say, I believe that. I want Jesus. I believe on the Lord Jesus. Yes, absolutely. I want to trust in him. Like you say, this makes sense to me. And then time passes. A little bit of time. Maybe a long time. Sometimes months, sometimes years. And then they say, I don't believe it. I reject it. And that, that, that is, that's the hardest for me. In one sense... I don't have, I almost don't have a category for it. I do, and we're going to talk about that today. It's so unsettling, you know? If you've been a Christian very long, you've seen this and you've experienced this. And if you haven't been a Christian very long, you're going to, because there are people who profess faith who don't profess faith later. And it is just downright troubling and stirring and bothersome, and I don't know what other words to use, but it's a bad thing. And it can be very unsettling to you. In Matthew 13, Jesus helps his would-be ambassadors. He helps his disciples think through these kinds of issues. And so I wanted this text to, to re-affirm uh, my soul because I'm kind of discouraged by some of this going on. And I thought, well, if it's good for me, it probably is good for you too as we do ministry together so that we could sort of listen in on what he said to those disciples, those, those would-be ambassadors, as he gathers them and he, as he equips them so that they can go and be faithful and they can be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged as ambassadors today, and I want to be encouraged. So Matthew 13, parable of the soils, as it is sometimes called. It's what I prefer to call it. It'll equip us. It'll encourage us. I'm not going to try to do a detailed exposition. don't think it's necessary, but I do want to pay attention to, to what Jesus' intent was. And I think his intent, uh, by and large, was to equip the disciples. And so let's, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work our way through the text with some commentary as we go that I hope will help. Uh, then at the end, some simple application. For the most part, I just want to let it speak for itself. Okay. I have the microphone. I hope it's okay, but that's how it's going to be. Um, <laughs> that's going to be the plan for the morning. Let's jump in. Matthew 13, verses 1 to 23. That same day. I didn't get very far, and I won't keep doing this, but I just have to interject. That's probably important because in chapter 12 earlier, the same day, there are people who've been seeing all this that Jesus has been doing, showing himself to be the true one. And they've not only rejected him, they've said, he's the devil. The same day where there's been absolute rejection of Jesus. Let's keep that in mind. Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. 
And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. So obviously what he's doing is he's getting out away from them so they can hear him, so that they can see him, so that he can be the focal point as the teacher there at the Sea of Galilee. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. Verse 3, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Okay, so that's the first kind, and we, we all know, maybe we don't all know, but most of us know that the sower is going to be the one who, who reaches into his or her bag, grabs the seed, and sows the seed. Okay, what's on the roof of the Capitol? What's on the top of the Capitol in Lincoln? There's a sower on top of there, sowing the seeds. Um, maybe you've sown seeds. I, I, I was sowing grass seed this fall, and some of it actually took. Amazing. After we took out some of the rabbits that were eating the seed, but that doesn't really fit this parable. <laughs> Point being, he's planting, okay? And you're not putting one seed in at a time like you might in your garden. You are sowing seed like this almost everywhere. Then in verse 5, did we read verse 4? Let's go back to four just in case. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Okay, there's the first soil. Verse 5, other seeds fell on rocky ground. This is the second kind where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. So it's going to be shallow soil. So it might be warmer. So it might have a tendency to, to take more at first or, 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 or sprout up quickly but there's really no place for the roots to go. So it's a problem. Verse 6, But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Then the third kind, in verse 7, Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Choked them. Other seeds, now the fourth kind, fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then Jesus says to this crowd, He who has ears, let him hear. Everybody okay so far? Make sense? Tracking. Good. Verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Now here's what I want, I want you to see a contrast. Here's how I would take this, and I think I'm in really good company. To the masses, he speaks in this parable. Then the disciples come to him. Now we have kind of a different scenario, different setting, and he's going to instruct the disciples. He's going to gather, if you would, his would-be ambassadors. Okay, He's not going to interpret it to everybody, not to the masses. He's going to interpret it to his disciples, which becomes significant, I think, as we will see. So verse 10, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them? See, he's not speaking to them here in parables. Now, I'm going to be a little sarcastic here because it's just my fallen nature, probably, but maybe to make a point. Notice he's not going to say, because I gave biblical truth in order to make biblical truth understanding to everyone, I gave them parables. I say it that way with sarcasm because typically that's how we speak because we're defending our storytelling in place of preaching God's word. Jesus is not going to say, I spoke in parables to make the profound truth easy for everybody to understand. 
Let's keep reading. And he answered them, To you, he's talking to the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and to he who uh, he will have a, an abundance. But from the one who has not, so far context would be those who have been rejecting Jesus. They've not believed what he's done so far. They've rejected him. So to those, even what he has will be taken away. 13. Then, uh, excuse me, this is why I speak to them in parables. It's the taking away thing. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. See what's going on? Jesus tells us how parables work. It's to further reveal the truth to those who have already been embracing the truth. And it is to conceal the truth from those who've been rejecting. And just because we're on topic and I can't get the teacher out of me, even though this isn't really within the purview of what I'm trying to emphasize today, I don't think we have the right to do that. I think only Jesus has the right to say, to some, I'm going to give them more truth, and to others, I'm going to purposely hide it from them. So I'm not one to say, you know what, I'm going to teach in parables. Uh, I'm one to say, I think I need to preach the truth to everybody who's around and alive, quite frankly. But now I'm on a soapbox or a black box. Um, see, this is a form, parables are a form of judgment. Yes, they're a blessing to those who've been receptive, but it's also a form of judgment to those who are rejecting Jesus. Jesus has the right because he knows people's hearts. Jesus is the sovereign one. He absolutely has the right. But let's keep reading in verse 14. Indeed, in their case... The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. 16 then says, but blessed are your eyes, talking to the disciples, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. That You've been blessed by God because you're seeing this and you're comprehending this. You're responding the right way. Blessed are you of God. Verse 17, for truly I say, sincerely I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And then he gives the interpretation. And by the way, I'm going to get on the soapbox just one more time. Jesus gives us the interpretation. I can't believe how many times I've heard people read the parable and then have it mean something totally different than anybody's ever had it mean ever in history. I love this parable. He doesn't always interpret the parables. He's going to interpret this for us, for his disciples, and he's going to help equip them to understand how the gospel works, the gospel of the, of the kingdom, to help us think this stuff through. It's masterful. Masterful. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... i.e. the gospel, essentially. Uh, the way to enter the kingdom would be by believing the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. You really can't separate these things. When anyone hears uh, the word of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and the king, no doubt, and does not understand it, 
And based upon everything in the context flowing from chapter, uh, all the chapters leading up, and then chapter 12 especially, surely he doesn't mean mere intellectual comprehension. There, there's the, the, under, the, the not understanding has got to have a moral, ethical rejection, hardness sense to it. The evil one comes and snatches away what he has sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. There we have it, right? That seed is the message of the kingdom. It's that good news message of the kingdom. It's about the king. It's about the gospel, inevitably, invariably. And it goes, and some falls by the road, and what happens? The devil comes like a bird, takes it away, and it's gone. All right? Pretty straightforward. Then the second interpretation, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately, I circle that because he's going to emphasize it, and immediately receives it with joy. And you're going, yeah! There's an immediate response of receptivity, no doubt of belief, and and, and this is exciting. Verse 21, yet... He has no root in himself, but endures for a while. I underline that too, because to see that there is some endurance, there is some, some what we might see as perseverance. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, the gospel word, the, the good kingdom word, immediately, so there's the contrast, immediately receives, immediately he falls away. That, that, that is really worth trying to think about and meditate upon. It's straightforward, but just stop and think about what he's saying. There's joy, there's enthusiasm, there's excitement. I, sign me up. What you're telling me is good news, and, 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 and I, I, I believe that. I, tr- I trust in that Savior. And then what happens? Well, there's endurance. We don't want to miss that. There, there's time that goes by. But there's also then tribulation, trials, difficulties, hardships, or persecution. He doesn't say where the persecution comes from. It could be from your family. It could be from your your former religion, as it would be with some of these folks. Co-workers, friends, kids, parents. Persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately, he falls away. He said, Maybe in one sense, we understand it all too well. You say, I've seen that before. It's important that we see that there is such a thing as a enthusiastic, he says, joyous responsiveness to the gospel message that shows some endurance, doesn't even say how long. But immediately when the tough time comes, walks away, rejects it. Now you might want to jot down another passage on the positive side of this to show us how this works would be 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Listen to, listen to this. Listen to, to, to how God uses trials. Yes, to show people who say they're Christians and that they really aren't, but he uses it in a positive. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, 
though now for a little while, if necessary, that's interesting, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, listen to this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, trials, tested genuineness of your faith, How can I find out if my faith is real? Well, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, tied to trials in 1 Peter, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, how about this? May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the real thing, and the real thing is shown through trials, through the hardships. In some ways, it's easy to profess to be a Christian. But it's not so easy when the trials come and the persecution comes. But God uses that as an instrument to show who's really on the team. We need to remember this as we find ourselves wanting to be equipped as ambassadors. Genuine faith perseveres under trial is what we're seeing here. More about this in a moment, but let's look at this third soil in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world, oftentimes associated with sinful things, not, oh, you know, I'm so interested in balancing my checkbook. It's not the idea. Or, oh, I'm so interested in in doing my job. I mean, the idea is when things become sinful actions. Not just temporal actions, that's a good way to put it, but sinful actions. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. You know how this works? Profess Christ, yes, understand the gospel, yes, on one level or another. And I understand that as somebody who believes in the gospel, then I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, given the spirit to even bring about the belief. And, and that should lead to a new life of thanksgiving, right? The new life doesn't get you saved, but because you're saved, then I want to live a different life. I want to follow Jesus, take up my cross like we sang today in response to the gospel, in response to saving faith. But sometimes people start walking down that road and As I've been saying recently, they start thinking, my life was better before Jesus. I really like that sin better than I like Jesus. And uh, they go back. And they don't follow him anymore. And here, he likens it to the weeds, the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches. And it proves unfruitful. I do want you to notice that it proves unfruitful, but... According to the parable, it it did show signs of life. We would do well to remember what Jesus says and not conclude because there are signs of life at first or maybe there are signs of life maybe over quite a long period of time. It doesn't necessarily mean it's genuine fruitfulness. It proves unfruitful. Now, I don't want to take away from what he's saying at all, but just, I just can't help myself because so often this is used as, as somehow proof that you can lose your salvation. He's not even dealing with that issue. But I just can't resist and say, 1 John 2.19 says, those who went out from us were never really of us. Okay? 
I just can't help myself but to, to quote Jesus in John chapter 10 that he lays his life down for the sheep and, and he also says, I will lose none of them. Those who are truly Christ's sheep cannot be lost. Those who are truly believers will not stop being believers. But let those passages not take the sting out of what's being said here. When the sower goes out to sow and the gospel goes far and wide, there will most certainly be those who respond positively. In fact, even in a couple of categories, who respond positively at first, give signs of life, but they don't endure in following Jesus. You've got to remember that. Again, let me remind you of the context. He's talking to his disciples who will be the ambassadors, who will go out as the sowers proclaiming the message and he's getting them ready for the different kinds of responses they're going to receive. You would be well equipped as you seek to be a faithful ambassador of Christ, as you tell people about this great Christ, to know ahead of time that there are different responses and not everybody's going to say, yeah, that's right, I believe it. And not everybody's going to say, that's right, I believe it. And continue to believe it. This is equipping stuff. This is the kind of thing that really encourages in one sense because it helps me to see that when people do reject or people do walk away, it's not necessarily because I did the wrong thing as the ambassador. We'll talk more about that in a moment. I'm also reminded of Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Demas, who was named positively in Philemon in 2 Timothy 4.10, it says, Demas, having loved this present world, and now I'm just paraphrasing, defected. This stuff happens in Scripture. Well, let's end on a positive, and then let's end in the, in the ambassador huddle, so to speak. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Context would be a believing understanding, not just an intellectual understanding. They, they, they truly embrace it for themselves. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, and in another thirty. And we like to show, you know, it's different. But let's be clear on one thing if we we're going to learn from Jesus there is a harvest. There is a harvest. There is genuine fruitfulness, not just signs of life for those who truly believe in a genuine understanding sense. Now, I want to end by writing, uh, sharing with you what I wrote down for my own soul. Again, confession time is I preached this sermon because I needed to think about this stuff. I'm more discouraged than ever by people who profess faith, do well even over periods of time, sometimes long periods of time, and then they decide that they're going to go play for the other team. It's just it's discouraging. It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. And so I wrote down a few things for my own soul's sake that I thought maybe would be helpful so you can enter into my little world. I'm sure you're thinking of much more profound things than I've thought of. Um, if you want your money back today because I'm not deep enough and I only gave Jesus interpretation, um, we'll give your money back when you go. A rain check. 
We don't give refunds. <laughs> In all seriousness. Three things. I wrote down, responses to the gospel differ. Now, again, you don't have to be a genius or have a PhD to come to that conclusion. I'm neither a PhD or a genius. But you've got to just see the obvious. Responses to the gospel differ. You've got to know that if you're an ambassador. Especially when you have the good news, Right? You have the good news of all good news imaginable. You are going to tell people how they could be forgiven all of their sins. <laughs> You're going to tell people how they can be viewed in God's eyes as absolutely perfectly righteous. As if you'd love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength perfectly all the time. As if you'd love your neighbor perfectly so you've kept the entire law when you're not righteous. You're, you're, you're going to tell people that? You're going to tell them how they can be justified, declared righteous, based upon the righteousness of Christ? This is good. Especially knowing that that's what God requires. You're going to tell people that Jesus Christ died a sinner's death fully and completely, absorbing the just wrath of God on behalf of everyone who would ever believe? You're going to tell people that He rose again from the dead bodily? so that they wouldn't have to be enslaved to sin, so that they could know for sure that the Father was satisfied with the voluntary work of the Son? Tuh. Is there any better news? There is no better news. And, and when you think about it, if you're, you're one of these disciples, and you are, in a sense, surely, let's just pretend like we don't know much, and we haven't read the parable, and we've not lived very long, but, but we just know about the good news surely everyone is going to embrace this by faith. Everyone is going to believe. I mean, it's just, it's almost too good to be true. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm a brand new Christian, college student. And if, if somebody confronts me with the gospel, it finally makes, it just clicks. And, and it's like, whoa, who can't I tell about this? I remember going to the gym. I was a gym rat, going to the gym all the time. I was so excited, all of my buddies. And they're like, so what did you do this weekend? And I, you know, and I was asking them like crazy, just waiting. Because they're obligated to say, what did you do this weekend? You know? I remember the weekend that I got engaged and baptized the same weekend. I'm still trying to figure out which one. Never mind. <laughs> 20 year anniversary this week, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> I loved it because I was just teeing it up saying, hey, what'd you guys do this weekend? Oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Went home, did my laundry. What did you do, Pat? Man, I had the greatest weekend. It was amazing. Not only did I get engaged, I got baptized. Oh, when, when's the wedding? <laughs> Talk about anything and everything. And I gave him too easy of an out. I was so excited, yes, to be engaged. I was so excited that, that I got to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and, and try to tell everyone in my family and to stand before the people of God and say, you know what, I'm a Christian. And I wasn't before. I was thinking in this state of euphoria, and naivete. Everyone is going to believe this. 
so good to remember that while we have the best message imaginable, not everybody's going to believe it. And I think sometimes we forget that. The four soils, parable by Jesus, helps us. It equips us because we are called to go to all peoples and communicate the good news message of Christ. And Jesus himself tells us before we ever go, I want you to know some people are going to reject it outright. That is so good to know. You say, why is that good to know? It's good to know because if I thought everyone was going to embrace it and some didn't, I might think there was something wrong with the gospel, right? Or I might think that somehow I need to change the gospel. No. No. Well, similarly, I wrote down this for myself. Even over the passing of some time, responses differ. Even over the passing of some time, responses differ. That, again, equips me to be an ambassador who's faithful and less tempted to alter the message. It's so good to have a category in your understanding, in your ambassadorship manual, to know that some people are going to respond a certain way in the short run and a different way in the long run. And there's a category for that. Jesus talked about that. Don't freak out about that. And then similarly to that, I also wrote down, different responses should not lead to altering the message. Differing responses shouldn't lead to altering the message. Just because some reject it outright, some embrace it and reject it later, others embrace it and reject it later, others embrace it, doesn't mean I need to go back to the drawing board and go, hmm, what can I change? You know, if I, if I just kind of don't talk so much about God's righteousness and the judgment of God upon His Son and substitutionary atonement, maybe if I kind of softened that and just said, you know what, the gospel is God has a wonderful plan for your life. Maybe I should do that and I would be more successful. Or maybe because I'm watching people walk away. How about this one? This is where we're going to have a tendency to, to, to walk on dangerous water. Or how about knowing that certain friends of mine who I've watched seemingly persevere and then they don't eventually. Maybe what I need to do is not say salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Maybe what I need to do, my temptation is to go to the drawing board and, and say, I need to add a little law. I need to, to say, you must believe in Jesus and, and do these things because maybe then they're going to stick. i got to go back to Jesus' school of ambassadorship. Get the message right. Honor the, honor the king with the right message and trust Him for the results, knowing full well that He told you ahead of time that there are going to be different responses to the same message. It is so freeing and encouraging to know this. I love to know this. You know, the person who preached the gospel to me when I was a college student, discipled me for quite some time. 
doesn't wear the jersey anymore. And I know some of you well enough to know that the person who preached the gospel to you, maybe discipled you, doesn't wear the jersey anymore. My friends, whether it's true of you or not, you need a category for that. Lest you think somehow the gospel was the problem. Lest you think somehow the methodology was the problem or whatever it is. If God will speak through Balaam's donkey the truth, he will use fallen individuals. And I've I got to tell you, to be honest with you, I need that for my soul. Lest I think somehow, you know what? Something's wrong with Jesus. Something's wrong with the gospel. No, nothing's wrong with Jesus. Nothing's wrong with the gospel. As a matter of fact, Jesus had a disciple named Judas. And I don't think Jesus got his discipleship program wrong. And if he just would have done things differently, Judas would have stuck. We need categories for this stuff. Lest we, 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 we can't sleep at night. Lest, lest we don't know how to function. Lest we somehow start tinkering with the message. And then we're getting ourselves in real trouble. I so love to enroll in Jesus' ambassadorship training program for the disciples. Let me equip you so that when you proclaim this message and you go out to sow, you know how things end up falling out. That is going to help us by the grace of God to keep following the script and keep giving people the gospel and making it clear and making it, yes, in love, yes, with compassion, but being faithful, showing fidelity to the one who's sending us, the king himself. Isn't this good? So good. So good as a reminder. So good as an equipping kind of time for us. I'm not done with this little thing. I've got to get it off my chest a little bit more. I'll be done for this morning. But I think it would be good for us. Uh, it would be good for me. So thanks for listening. Um, I'm glad to get to be a pastor so I can preach to my own heart. <laughs> and you guys come and listen. That's amazing. <laughs> I think it would be helpful sometime to go ahead and even look at some of these biblical characters that have been used to proclaim the truth. And they themselves have shown not to be faithful. Because what it does for us is it helps us to remember that salvation is of the Lord. And it helps us to remember to not trust ultimately in anyone or anything other than the Savior Himself. Because if God will speak through Balaam's donkey, His truth, and certainly He'll speak through fallen individuals, maybe even false professors of faith. So I think it'd be good to, to do that. I don't know what I'm going to call the sermon series yet, at least a brief series. Um, I'm tempted to use profanity to make a point um, about Balaam's donkey. Um, but I won't. It would be Elizabethan English anyway. It wouldn't be profanity. Um, I won't do it, but you'll all know what I'm thinking. <laughs> Salvation is of the Lord, and He will use the rocks to cry out to give him praise and honor if that's what it takes. And he'll use donkeys and he'll use Judas and Judas's to speak the truth so that those 
whom he has called before the foundation of the world will hear the gospel and they will be saved. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for just rich and great time together as a local church where we can find ourselves challenged, we can find ourselves encouraged. Thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for his finished work on behalf of everyone, on behalf of everyone who would ever believe, reaching back into Old Testament history, reaching into his own time, reaching into our time, reaching into the future, that his perfect work was effectual, that it was effective to provide perfect atonement, to provide perfect righteousness for everyone who would ever believe. What a great, great saving God you are, and you are worthy of our thanksgiving and praise. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen.